Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother. Welcome to the Dead Pundits Society. Now here is your host, Adam Proctor. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Dead Pundit Society. Joining me this week to talk about Catalonian state independence and Spanish state repression is Nando Vila. Nando is a producer and a host over at Fusion TV, and he's also Emmy-nominated, which is pretty exciting. We're going to talk about that and a lot more in the episode to come. As I mentioned, folks, joining me this week is Nando Vila. He's a producer and a host over at Fusion TV. You can find his short clips and pop political hot takes on YouTube. Uh, just for, search for Nando Vila Fusion, and uh, he's there. Uh, he's also Emmy-nominated for his documentary that he produced and hosted called Trumpland. He traveled across the country interviewing Trump supporters to get to the bottom of this popularity. Uh, that, that Trump was able to sort of stir up during the campaign. I'm going to talk with Nando about that a little while uh, at the very beginning of the episode. But the majority of our conversation, we're going to be talking about the Catalonian independence movement, the secession, the threats of secession that we're seeing from the Cat- uh, Catalan government. And we're going to talk about, uh, you know, the impacts of that on left strategy and Podemos in particular. The episode is called No Shortcuts, Catalonia and the Left. And so, You know, this may not be popular, but please stay tuned and hear the argument. We sort of conclude that these secessionary movements are really anti-solidaristic. And that the way, as troubled as the concept of the nation state may be in capitalism, it is still nonetheless the most important site for struggle. And when you see secessionary movements, whether it's in Scotland, whether it's in Greece trying to secede from the European Union, or now in Catalonia, you see uh, a confused, unplanned, chaotic uh, moves to break away from the established order, which will throw into the field of play immediately a whole slew of contradictions, whether they're monetary, economic, political, or otherwise. And our, our judgment is that the Catalonian government is not prepared for this. And besides, it's a right-wing government in Catalonia right now. And so there's no reason to believe that it will suddenly become some kind of left-wing paradise after secession occurs. And so anyway, just prefiguring the bait a little bit. Uh, this is the first episode of our Labor and the Capitalist State series that we're running this fall. And I think it's a really good kind of like pragmatic, you know, empirical study a contemporary example of why the capitalist state is so important to understand in our era. So, following this episode, my Patreon members are going to get an episode, additional episode, of Hot Takes and Field Notes with Nando Vila. We're going to be talking about soccer, football, people. There are tremendous implications on Catalonian secession uh, in terms of La Liga which is the Spanish soccer league uh, between Barcelona and Madrid. We're going to get to that a little bit in the interview and prefigure that, but Nando's a big soccer fan. He used to be a soccer commentator on Fusion. So if you are a soccer fan and you want to think through the implications of this, or if you're just a politics nut, 
uh, we talk about the intersection of sports, politics, and economics. You're not going to want to miss that. So head on over to patreon.com slash deadpundits. And everyone who subscribes at the $5 and up, uh, Mark will get access to my hot takes and field notes that I'll be doing from here on out. Just kind of like a bonus post-game style uh, footage for my patrons. So patreon.com slash deadpunnets. Smash that $5 or $8 subscribe button and you'll get access to all of this and more. Check me out on Twitter at deadpundits. Uh, find me on Facebook, all the rest of it. You know how this works. All right. Enjoy my interview with Nando Vila. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Joining me today on the line is Nando Vila. He is an Emmy-nominated documentary producer and a TV host at Fusion. Nando, how are you? I'm great, Adam. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, this is clearly the first time I've ever had on an Emmy-nominated guest. Well, uh, you know, so you know, really, what I jazz have to- up your show, man. Come on. It does. And, and honestly, like I, all I have to say there is like, congratulations uh, to me. Congratulations <laughs> to the Ted Punnett Society. <laughs> no, it is a great achievement for you guys, to it be is. honest. Uh, uh, you, know, you guys are playing in the big leagues now. For sure. Uh, you know, so this is, I'm going to mostly make this about myself. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but congratulations, man. That is huge. So you're headed off, you're flying off to uh, New York tonight. Yep. To, to see uh, to go to the Emmys to see what happens. Yeah, get all dolled up, you know, and then I have to work on my uh, on my face when I inevitably lose, like the sort of gracious uh, gracious and defeat phase uh, face. You know, that would be that's exactly what I I'll be thinking about all day. I mean, you know, low expectations. Prepare yourself for defeat, but do you have that acceptance speech uh, all, all geared up as well? Uh, I have to. I have to write a thirty-second acceptance speech. I have not written it yet. Um, I've been consumed by the news uh, lately. So, but I, I think on the plane, I'll, I'll I'll take a take some minutes out of my time and and uh, and write a little thirty-second speech, thanking you know God and and you know my mother and all that stuff. So yeah. So apropos of our topic today, I was thinking like maybe you could like get some body paint and paint the Catalonian flag on your chest (laughs) and then like rip your tuxedo shirt off to reveal like the Catalonian flag, like on your chest and like free Catalonia, you know, like one of those. I will, I would literally like be written into the history textbooks if I did that. So, I mean, if I, if I wanted to, you know, that would be, that would assure me a place in history uh, forever. So I think that's probably a good idea. Regardless of what we're about to say on the show or whether or not, or not that's a good idea, like, I mean, if you want to be opportunistic, I mean, it's certainly great to latch onto these movements, which I think a lot of people are engaging in the uh, Catalan independence movement uh, in, in fairly opportunistic and contradictory ways. And that's what the show is going to be all about. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, man, big, big ups on that Emmy nomination. So that is for just this just to backtrack a minute. Let's get into your bio. We're going to get a little Howard sure. Stern here. Um, following last week's episode, I'm, I'm going to start digging deep into my guests. Uh, <laughs> I think the audience will enjoy it. So Trump land is the documentary uh, that is nominated. Um, tell us a little bit about Trump land and, and your experience there before we get started. So, yeah, so I was, uh, approached by fusion to, you know, do some sort of, uh, political documentary around the 2016 election, uh, you know, early in 2016. And that was like around the time that Trump, 
it was it was it was becoming clear that Trump was at least going to win the nomination, right? Or even if he didn't win the nomination, that he was going to be a, like that he was a significant force within the the primary process. And I remember thinking like. Because up until then, he had been kind of like a sideshow joke to a lot of people. Right. Um, and I remember thinking like, you know, this was all fun and games when he had like 5% support. But when he had like 40% support, you know, of Republican voters, I mean, that's like millions of people that are willing to vote for like a Donald Trump. Um, so I remember thinking like that's kind of like our collective problem now. Like it's, it's not it's not any more – it's not a, a problem – like a fringe kind of sideshow anymore. This is like now it's just like something that we have to all grapple with. Um, so I, I just like, I just pitched this like really simple, um, this really simple project that was basically like, let me just go around the country talking to Trump voters um, and, and see what's good, you know, like kind of see, see if I can, you know, find some sort of um, through line or, um, and then inevitably what happened was I talked to a bunch of Trump voters and there, there is no one narrative, right? I mean, everyone's completely different, right? Um, so, I mean, I think that the, the documentary tried to capture some of that nuance and some of that, um, you know, that human beings are complicated and multifaceted and they make their political decisions based on, you know, all kinds of, uh, things. And some of them are, you know, some of them believe some things, some of them believe other things, mm -hmm. but, um, um, so yeah, that, it's, it's just a very simple, um, kind of, uh, small look into, um, uh, into Trump, into Trump voters. And, uh, I don't know, people seem to like it. And, uh, you know, I got nominated for an Emmy, which was the last thing I ever expected. <laughs> Well, now you get to rock that tuxedo on the red carpet. And, uh, well, shoes. actually, uh, this is for a News and Doc Emmy. It's not. So it's not the primetime Emmys, yeah, yeah. and the News and Doc Emmys are slightly crustier because news news people are not as glamorous as <laughs> as like you know HBO <laughs> actors. So uh, this is not black tie. This is only business uh, attire. Uh, so so yeah, I have to it's wear not a, a suit. red carpet. It's more kind of maybe it's like a drab like uh, yeah, like it's decaying. Yeah, you know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But still, you you deserve the accolades. Rock the rock the black tie anyway. And I gotta say, I man, do it, yeah. you know you you are one of the. Not only are you the, the only Emmy nominated guest I've had on, but you are by far the best dressed. You got it. You got to tell me where you shop, man. These videos oh. that you do, you're killing it. Well, I, I'll give you a whole. I'll give you. I I, I should. I, I'm going to start doing like a makeover series for the left. You yes. know, uh, yes. for the men of Please. the left. You know, um, you know, I. I I, you know, I, I remember when I was like maybe like 10 years ago or I don't remember what it was, but I, I saw an interview with Glenn Greenwald where he um, he made this point where like that he always appears in a suit and tie. Um, and he um, his reasoning was that, like, you know, if you're going to like do things that are challenging to um, sort of like establish power or whatever, and you're trying to convince as many people uh, to get on your side, you can't give them, you know, sort of superficial reasons to just tune you out before you even have your have your chance to say anything. And I remember that, that, that like rung very true to me. Like, so I've always tried to, um, at least appear kind of buttoned up and, um, you know, because I think if you're, if you're trying to do things that are challenging, um, people's kind of established opinions, uh, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to like, you know, kill your chances before you even get in the door. So that's kind of my theory behind it. Yeah, that's brilliant. Don't give them an easy reason uh, to yeah. dismiss you as a kind of, you know, marginal lefty slob, you know, before exactly. you even open your mouth. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's good. You got to tell me where you shop, man. I need a little help. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so getting down to it, man, uh, we're, we're talking about uh, what's going on over in Spain. You are uniquely situated 
to discuss this topic because of your family history. Uh, you go into this, uh, you've had a couple pieces come out. You've got a piece uh, that should be out by the time the show is released in the Washington Post. Tell us a little bit about your personal biography and why that gives you a unique insight into this uh, particular moment. So I'm, uh, I, I, was, I was born in Miami, but I'm a dual American Spanish citizen. Both my parents uh, are from Spain. They, are, um, they immigrated to the United States um, in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, and my dad's side of the family comes from a, a, a line of uh, proud fascists uh, <laughs> on, <laughs> from, from, from Castilla y Leon. Um, and, you know, they uh, settled in Madrid eventually. Um, so my, I have my, my dad's side of the family is from Madrid. My mother's side of the family is from uh, a town outside of Barcelona. Um, so I'm, I'm half Catalan, half uh, Castilian. Um, and you know, there's, there's, I mean, there's fewer of us than you would think. I mean, given how small Spain is, there is not as much intermixing as you would think. Um, so, so I do have, I, I have been kind of seeing, I, I have, I have seen both sides of, of this kind of crisis. Um, and, and it's almost like, you know, you know, the, the, the degree of polarization is, is like akin to what you would see in the United States where like, you know, just they're, they're, both sides aren't even agreeing on like a basic set of, uh, of, of established facts or, you know, that, that whole cliche. I mean, it's like, you know, um, my, you know, I've seen people from Madrid say that the, the images of the police violence or whatever are doctored and that there's like, um, there's like uh, radical like punks organized and infiltrated in, into the crowds to provoke the police. I mean, like the kind of stuff that you would see from like Fox News yeah, yeah. Um, is now making its way uh, to Spain. So, yeah, it's been interesting. The rhetoric in El País is, is also very heated. Uh, doing yeah. research for the show and, and reading some of the editorials there, I mean, it is just the, so the, the the national fervor there is sort of at a yeah yeah it's it's really reached up a peak. It's a very emotional question. I mean, I mean, it's just it is difficult to imagine. I mean, think about like what it would be like what what kind of fervor would be if like in you know if California actually were serious about you know breaking out from the United States, you know, like sure, think sure. about like have the insanity that that would unleash. Um, and, and just, you know, imagine that that's been going on to some degree or another for, you know, 40 years. So let's, let's get into that history then, because you mentioned that you are half Castilian and half Catalan. Well, most people would just think of your family as what Spanish, right? Yeah. So that, that doesn't really make a lot of sense to, uh, the Americans, uh, myself included, like who just, we don't mm -hmm. learn enough European history and we don't learn enough European geography. Um, yeah. and so let's break that down a little bit. Um, going back to the 1600s or the i believe uh queen isabella who is a name that we all know because of uh, mm. the you know the rapist and murderer uh, columbus I yeah believe. uh queen isabella we learn about in uh, grade school you know around columbus day uh, yeah. was wedded to fernando yeah. who was the king of uh, the, the uh, catalan uh, what did that of, uh, well uh, it was it was called aragon which is the the, you know, which is the the modern day it's the it's the region right next to Catalonia but it included the kingdom included um uh Catal what what is today Catalonia um and uh yeah this was actually a, a, they got married in 1492 which is the same year that Col that Columbus uh, you know sailed the ocean blue so it's <laughs> yeah, a big yeah. big year uh <laughs> it's a big year yeah so uh, so Catalonia then is is in the northeast of Spain it shares a border mm -hmm. with France just to give people a visual we Americans are terrible with geography 
yeah. myself sadly sometimes included. And <laughs> so there was a unification, a near unification of the Iberian Peninsula uh, after that time when Isabella and uh, Fernando were wedded. Um, mm-hmm. The 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 Muslim uh, sort of uh, empire there was was finished was ended by yeah. Isabella and Fernando. Is that correct? About, yeah, yeah. They they were the last. Uh, you know, they were the last Spanish kings to sort of fight with what they called the Moors. The Moors, um, yeah, which had been there, which had been in Spain for eight hundred years mm-hmm. uh, until that point. So, in the hundred years following that, there was a series of breakups of these like semi-autonomous regions that have like these strong ethnic affinities. As you say, even throughout history, there's not a lot of mixing that goes on. Yeah. Um, so how do we, let, let, let's let's go from the 1930s? A lot of people read Orwell's homage to Catalonia. Mm-hmm. And they feel like they know everything that there is to know about Spanish mm-hmm. politics today, which I think like we yeah. have to be careful about drawing a straight line uh, from here to there. So take us from like, say, Franco uh, to present. Right. So, um, you know, I mean, in, I'll go back to just like slightly before to the end to the toward this, uh, the end of the 19th century, which is when you start to see a sort of renaissance of Catalan identity and culture. Right. You for the first time um, you see the, the Catalan language is is sort of codified. There's a guy named Pompeo Fabra who, you know, sort of was the, the, the father of the of the actual like written and, you know, established grammatical rules for the Catalan language. There was just like a resurgence of 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 Catalan um, um, history and identity and culture um, that was kind of with the whole romantic uh, romantic period. Um, and so uh, shortly after, right, you know, Spain, uh, civil war and Franco takes power and he's a fascist, right? And uh, fascists like to instill a sort of monoculture around, you know, um, whatever national identity uh, they have, you know. So he was very, uh, you know, adamant about suppressing that sort of newish, but research. I mean, it's a very old culture, but um, there was a sort of uh, resurgence of, uh, you know, a fervor around it. And he was very keen to suppress that, you know, which is because that's what that's what fascists do. Right. They install, uh, you know, they 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 so, you know, they like to suppress whatever, you know, um, whatever is different from the authority of the state. Um, so to speak. So, you know, he banned um, the Catalan, the use of the Catalan language. Um, you know, you could you could get beaten up in the street by a by a cop if they heard you if they heard you speaking Catalan. Um, he sort of, um, you know, erased all of the symbols of Catalan identity. Um, you know, all the Catalan intellectual class was basically either um, uh, killed or uh, went into exile. Um so, uh, you know, a pretty, a pretty brutal ref, uh, repression um, of, I mean, of, of Catalan identity. I mean, I, but I think it is worth pointing out that, you know, all of Spain was under uh, a fascist dictatorship. So, you know, there was, uh, um, while the, the oppression was more pointed and more, um, you know, had, had a lot more uh, elements to it within Catalonia, but, you know, all of Spain was repressed under, right. under Franco. It was, you know, it was, you know, it's not nice to live under in a, in a fascist dictatorship. I would not recommend it for anyone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and, he, and he and statement. Uh, yes, uh, yes. <laughs> well, you'd, you'd be surprised. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, he he was in power uh, up until his death in 1975, um, uh, at which point, you know, Spain saw a transition from dictatorship to democracy, which was a 
you know, this this is quite quite a controversial statement, but it was a peaceful uh, transition that you know was built or uh, was based around sort of a um, a pact of silence, kind of like a let's move forward, not like relitigate the past, not sort of there was not a single uh, trial for any crimes uh, under the Franco regime, um, you know, and. Uh, you know, people on the left uh, are very kind of critical of this, and I, and I get and I understand why. And you know, I'm. I, it's hard for me. It's a hard question for me to 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 litigate, kind of um, honestly and objectively, because you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I don't know if you've been to Spain or people who have been to Spain. You know, it's a, quite a nice place, and it's you know, it's you know what I mean, like. Um, <laughs> Fuck you you guys for that, by the way. Like, I don't know why you guys are so upset right now. Like, you live in Spain. There's a lot of sunshine. You guys party all night long. The wine is delicious. Yeah. Uh, Um, What do you have to, you know, what do you have to whine about, really, is what I have to say about that. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of that going on, right? You know, like, the the transition to democracy was quite a nice thing in in many ways, right? I mean, you know, Spain went went from being a fascist dictatorship to a, a pretty standard, open... Um, European style parliamentary democracy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in like kind of record time with no bloodshed, which is not a common thing. Um, you know, but I'm but so I'm I'm I'm, I'm sensing without knowing any of this history, sadly, yeah. totally ignorant. I'm sensing that there was some resentment that maybe there wasn't some restitution, that there wasn't uh, what we would now call like official reconciliation, that maybe yes. they sort of papered over some of those differences that are now starting to reemerge. Yes, that's exactly right. Some, some of those, I mean, and I think that that's probably inevitable, you know, um, that there is no, there's no, there's no way around it. Eventually you do have to, uh, litigate those questions, uh, but uh, but you know the generation that lived through it, I mean, are are often um, you know uh, very proud of that of that transition, right? Um, but but yeah, so some of but now nowadays some of those old um, you know battle scars and resentments and wounds are are flaring up again, um, and you know what we're seeing now is legitimately the biggest political crisis in Spain since. You know, since it's been a democracy, I mean, the, the situation is is incredibly serious, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, so, so yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Spain had a had a decent run, you know, um, and and you know, like again, I insist, like if anyone's been there, I mean, because this is one of the the, the narratives that the separatists uh, kind of will will push is that you know that the Spanish state is like uh, you know horribly authoritarian, and you know, and you know. Seeing the images from Sunday, you know they they kind of confirmed their you know the, the their worst kind of predictions. But f- for the most part, the, the, in the last thirty years, Spain has been a pretty standard, open European uh, style democracy. And uh, you know uh, to, to call that state uh, an authoritarian and repressive one, um, I mean, I don't know. From where I'm standing, it's 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 less repressive than the than the American state, for example. Um, right. You know, um, so. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what, what happened sort of after Franco. Um, and then from then on, uh, you know, shortly after the, the, the Franco died and the, the sort of the transition to democracy, uh, Catalonia and, and the other sort of historic, uh, regional identities in Spain, the País Vasco, which is the Basques in the North, um, also great food, uh, and, <laughs> and Galicia in the Northwest, which is, which also has great food negotiated, um, 
sort of a semi-autonomous status within the Spanish state, you know, sort of an, a, an extra degree of, of home rule um, compared to the other regions. Um, and that kind of consensus was uh, lasted, you know, from 1981 when the, when the, the first statute, that, that statute was signed um, to basically around the mid-aughts when that sort of agreement started to break down. So we've got a lot of semi-autonomous regions making various mm-hmm. claims about themselves and trying to define themselves in relation to the state. And there's this consistent reemergence of uh, Catalan independence uh, mm-hmm. f- throughout the last five years. So now yeah. we're at present, relatively speaking. But last May, El País did a poll. Of course, they're not going to be neutral Mm -hmm. on this topic el pais being the representatives of the castilians i would uh, presume yes well it's the it's the it's the sort of it's the it's the newspaper uh of the traditional kind of uh spanish center left okay you know okay but might we call that the sort of the madrid consensus perhaps yes yes okay and for those like Barcelona is in a sort of a Catalan, traditional Catalan uh, territory, right? And, yeah. and Madrid is uh, in, in the Castilian sort of more, uh, like you say, Spanish um, yeah. ruling mainstream, cultural ruling mainstream, maybe you might say. We'll get into what yeah. that means later on in the world of soccer and sport. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Because Barcelona and Madrid being the two, by far, the two most competitive, successful uh, soccer teams in that league are at mm-hmm. odds right now. It's playing out in an interesting way. But to back up, a poll commissioned by El Pais this past May showed that only 35% of Catalans support the option of secession, mm-hmm. while 61% rejected secession outright. Now, that mm-hmm. would be a unilateral secession, um, you know, in uh, contravention of the Spanish constitution. Yeah, it was then reported just just last May, you know, just several months ago now, that there is now a growing sense of fatigue within the pro independence community. Mm-hmm. So my question is, what the hell happened? Why is secession now back on the table in such a big way? So uh, just to back up, like my whole life, you know, the secessionists, the separatists were seen as kind of fringe. I mean, their their support, you know, basically oscillated between. You know, five and maybe fifteen percent. If 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 there was like a heated moment, um, you know, there was a strong sense of Catalan nationalism, but that never translated to outright separatism, right? Um, it's been really in the past uh, since basically around two thousand and ten um, uh, that that the separatist uh, sentiment has grown pretty steadily from then to today, to the point where I mean, ahead of the vote uh, on Sunday. You probably had about fifty percent of of Catalans supporting uh, outright independence, right? I mean, so it's a remarkable uh, change, you know, going from you know maybe maybe ten percent to fifty percent in just you know five or six years. Mm-hmm. Um, and the broad strokes narrative is that the uh, the central government in Madrid, so Spain, voted in. Um, a right-wing party, um, so the PP, led by Mariano Rajoy, um, and he, uh, you know, has built his entire support base with basically antagonizing uh, Catalonia, you know, as a sort of like exertion of Spanish nationalism um, to shore up his sort of reactionary base um, throughout Spain, um, and that has only <laughs> served to 
basically piss off more and more Catalans. Um, and, and so, right? Yeah, it's you could imagine you can imagine a similar thing, you know, happening here with some like, um, you know, uh, you know what you're seeing now with Trump, right? Yeah, you know, Trump like, was antagonizing Californians. You know, they might unite right. for secession. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, hmm. So that's basically that's basically. I mean, Rajoy, um, you know. Uh, so there was a, um, a a a push towards a, a a refresh of the of that statute of, of for home rule um, in 2005 when when the socialist government was in power in, in Madrid. Um, the socialist government, you know, we you know they're called socialists, but they're basically a, um, you know a standard you know center left like neoliberal party in Europe, kind of like the, the old, uh, like the Blairite labor party, not as, not as, uh, bad as them, but, um, and, uh, they, uh, they negotiated a new statute for, um, uh, you know, a refresh of the home rule terms. Uh, and this was, uh, opposed vehemently by, by the right wing. Um, and even though, uh, like uh, the central government of Madrid and Catalonia cut a deal and then it was voted on by Catalans and passed, um, Rajoy was able was able to mount a counteroffensive and get this get the uh, High Court in Madrid to declare the main parts of the new statute uh, unconstitutional, um, and this happened in 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 2010, and that's kind of what started this whole thing. When okay. when the when the new statute for Home Rule was rejected by the Spanish court after a sustained and very effective campaign all around Spain led by the led by the conservatives. Ever since then, Catalans have been trying to engage with the with the government of Madrid to work out some sort of agreement. Um, the government of Madrid responds with basically saying, you know, we're not even going to discuss this. Uh, you know, whatever, everything that you guys are doing is, you know, unconstitutional. There's nothing to discuss. Shut the hell up. <laughs> you know, and it hasn't it hasn't been a very effective tactic. It's only served to inflame things further. So the conservatives are reaping the effects of, of staking out this maximalist position against even something as relatively tame and benign as home yeah. rule. So spell out exact, cause that's really a, a crucial distinction here. I would, I would think the majority, if we, if El Pais expanded this poll, cause mm-hmm. their poll to, to just to be clear about this as of May, only 35% of Catalonians uh, Catalans. I'm I'm gonna fuck that up throughout the whole interview. So it's for, right. for you, pardon, and yeah. for other Spanish speaking folks, uh, pardon. <laughs> I don't know the difference between Catalan and Catalonian and all the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. It's all good. I'm just a honky, my friend. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, the the stakes of that poll was to say, okay, Catalans, if you were uh, if, if there was a measure now to unilaterally secede without the blessing of the Spanish courts, uh, mm-hmm. would you be for it? And only 35% were for that as of last mm-hmm. May. I presume it'd be a little bit higher now, but I'm seeing the figures that say maybe it's not. Yeah. I mean, because that's, that's quite a drastic, that's a drastic step, right? Right, right. But the difference there, it seems, is that like if the poll were to ask a similar but different question to say, are you in favor of home rule, which would be granted and accepted by the Spanish legislature and in, 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 in courts, I would imagine that would go way up, 80, oh, 90, yeah. maybe plus percent. So, yeah. so spell out that, because that seems to be the real stake here. The, the Spanish state has not allowed... Uh, the Catalonian uh, government to to rule itself, 
And therefore, in, in lieu of that, they're now saying, well, you won't let us have a, a small measure of home rule. rule. Uh, we're going to take the whole thing. So what does home rule look like and what are the stakes involved in that argument since 2010? Well, uh, you know, again, it, it, it's, 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 it's weird to spell it out for an American audience because the stakes seem incredibly low. Um, it's basically <laughs> it's basically um, it basically comes down to a tax issue over, you know, who can levy and control um, how taxes are spent uh, and, and, you know, where they go. I mean, like right now, like one of the biggest complaints you always hear uh, from separatists and nationalists is that, you know, we pay more in taxes than we get back. Now, uh, to American audience, that just sounds like good old fashioned, you know, federalism, right? You no know, like, taxation uh, without representation, well, my friend, over my dead true. body. Yeah. Well, Don't yeah, tread well, on me, that whole, that whole shit, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so, um, you know, the, the, the Catalans wanted um, just like a, a, a little bit more uh, ability to um, control where their own where their own taxes went. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like at the end of the day, it's a kind of like smallish technical question that was used to play out a sort of more uh, fundamental question of like national identity. I mean, there was a there was language in the new in the new Home Rule statute that called um uh, you know, uh, Catalonia, a historic nation within Spain, and that that language um, was the was what the courts deemed was was like the the, the unconstitutional um, you know element, and it was really what 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 got um, Span Spaniards to rally against it. You know, the sort of non-Catalan Spaniards, um, and you know, the, again, like it it just seems like. It seems like we're fighting about this. We're, we say we're fighting about this thing, but we're really fighting about something else. And that's really what, what's going down. I mean, it's this is fundamentally a question of, of nationalist identity, nationalist, you know, uh, kind of uh, fervor on both sides. Right. Because it is a sort of the, the, the right in Spain has used this to stir up Spanish nationalism. Right. Um, you know, the flag and, you know, all the bullshit, you know, symbols that, you know, we're supposed to reject, uh, you know, as 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 good lefties. Um, but this has but, but the same could be said about about Catalonia. Right. That, you know, th that this is a fundamentally nationalist movement. Um, and I don't know. Personally, I'm, I'm very skeptical of nationalist movements on principle. Um, I, I, I don't see I mean, it's hard to see Catalonia as fundamentally oppressed by Madrid. I mean, it's a it's the richest region in Spain. Um, it's a culturally rich, uh, you know, uh, region. There is no more um, repression of cultural identity um, within Catalonia. You know, Catalan is taught in public schools, um, you know, it's spoken everywhere. There is a resurgence in Catalan pride and culture going on. Um, it's it's just, it, it really is hard for me to say that that Catalonia is fundamentally oppressed by, by the Spanish state. Um, that being said, all this is going down in the context of one of the worst economic crises to hit Spain in several decades, right? I mean, the financial crisis uh, of 2008 hit Spain particularly hard. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you've probably seen the figures of 30% unemployment, 50% uh, youth unemployment, uh, you know, just a huge reduction in living standards, plus the subsequent austerity measures. You know, just the, the landscape was highly uh, um, stirred up and, and – uh, you know, you know, it's 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 you know, it's it's pretty easy to see how a conservative reactionary government would use this question as a sort of wedge issue 
to uh, distract from the, you know, deep and painful economic crisis that was going on. It's a ready-made distraction mechanism. Just to ditch the backtrack on so we didn't lose anybody. Spain is the S in pigs. Yep. <laughs> Portugal, <laughs> Italy, yep. Ireland, Greece, and Spain uh, being the, the, the mostly southern uh, European nations who bore the brunt of the sovereign debt crisis that followed the Great Recession of 2008, 2009, which is to say that the banks got bailed out and the people got sold out. And, and so private debt of the banks – and their losses uh, was made public debt, and then transform, uh, trans, uh, you know, mutated into just vicious austerity, crippling austerity that affected, in particularly these pig, these countries that were known as the pigs. And so that's that's sort of what uh, what you're talking about there for the audience. Yeah, and to, and to make matters even worse within Spain, um, as this as this crisis is sort of. You know, decimating the, the Spanish economy. Um, the 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 two sort of main pol- traditional political parties of the of the center left and right, uh, the the PSOE, the Socialist Party, and the Partido Popular, um, were mired and and, and the Crown. Was, I forgot. You know, it's it's important to mention that the Crown too is involved, are mired in like incredibly uh, scandalous, uh, you know, corruption uh, charges. Like, right? I mean, like Swiss bank accounts, millions of euros. Uh, you know, the sort of establishment political class in Spain just completely lost all kinds of credibility. Um, so again, you know, like if your government is mired in corruption. Uh, in a corruption scandal, it is quite convenient to use this um, this question to to uh, sort of you know paper over um, you know the crisis for for your own party. I mean, and it was very clear that Rajoy um, was was using this. So, as you write in uh, a couple of your articles that have come out, uh, you might argue that what happened on October first, just several days ago when the Spanish uh, security forces were sent in to prevent uh, a vote mm-hmm. on, uh, you know, independence or secession, however you see it. Yeah. Uh, this, this, you, you call this the, the biggest self-own in recent <laughs> Spanish political history. You might ca- even call it an own goal uh, yeah. for, for the, to prefigure the soccer uh, uh, football, uh, you know, uh, debate that's, that's coming up soon, shortly we'll, we'll get to. Um, so that really ratcheted up the sympathy uh, for the Catalan uh, independence movement, I think, globally, because, I mean, you know, a woman's fingers were broken. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about firefighters were getting, you know, beat up by yeah. Spanish security forces. Um, women were being in, in men and children in some cases were being thrown down staircases. Mm-hmm. It was just brutal stuff. So on the one hand, we, we certainly want to sympathize with those people and stand in solidarity with them against, you know, state repression. But I think there's an open question here that I, that we're going to solve today on the show with you once and for all. <laughs> yeah. What is the yeah, nature of this repression? And, and the one thing that my show tries to do is delineate between these kind of claims of like blanket fascism. Mm-hmm. And whereas I would like to suggest that actually, no, this is really uh, what I would call neoliberal authoritarianism. And the yeah. difference there is that neoliberal authoritarianism oftentimes looks the same as like the fascism of Franco in the 1930s. But it's really it has a different logic. It's about forcing uh, market dictates onto populations in anti-democratic sorts of ways. And that sort of seems like what we're seeing here 
and Catalonia. Uh, what, what was your take on that violence? And maybe, uh, you know, talk to us about some of the comparisons between uh, Franco and the repression that they're seeing now. Okay, so um, on September 6th, the Catalan government passed uh, what they called the law of the referendum, which was basically they announced that on October 1st, they would hold a vote for independence. And should the independent side win, um, they would announce unilateral secession within 48 hours. You know, that kind of that set off like a race against the clock, you know, because that was like a, you know, that's that's going all in in poker. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Chips on the table. Um, the central government in Madrid announced that the vote was illegal um, and that they would do every, you know, take any means necessary to prevent it from even happening. Right. So they uh, they barred. There wasn't a there wasn't a uh, elections board. You know, the, you know, they 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 arrested um, several uh, members of the Catalan government, they, including, I think, the minister of, of, of the economy. Um, they uh, tried to seize ballots and and ballot boxes. The Catalan government responded by uh, initiating kind of a citizens movement to have people basically clandestinely outside of the view of the Spanish authorities, um, you know, print out their own ballots and set up their own, you know, it was this kind of crazy situation where, you know, one side is like trying to stop a vote from happening and the other side is doing everything possible to, 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 uh, you know, have the vote. Um, you know, I was watching this, you know, you know, it, it was like less than a month between September 6th and October 1st. And I was watching this like thing like, what the hell is going to happen? You know, because both sides are saying that like they're going to go, you know, that they're going to do it. And, you know, and um, a couple days before the vote, um, the central government of Madrid sent in 10,000 uh, basically what are called La Guardia Civil, which is basically kind of like a. Um, national police, semi-paramilitary force uh, that has actually the Guardia Civil actually has deep roots in 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 Francoism. Like there is a they, the Guardia Civil existed um, during the Franco era and were you know some of the more brutal uh, you know you know police forces during the the Franco repression. Um, so there was a symbolic element there, you know, to send back the Guardia Civil to sort of. Um, yeah, to prevent this vote from happening. But I, I don't think, I certainly didn't, and I don't think anyone expected the level of violence that we saw uh, on Sunday. I mean, the, the images were just completely shocking because it was just really at the end of the day, it was people just kind of standing around peacefully trying to hold a vote um, and then cops in riot gear with, uh, with nightsticks, you know, beating the hell out of people. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, 800 people were injured. Uh, you know, like uh, like truly astounding, uh, astounding scenes, um, you know, and the I mean, like, well, the reason why I call it a cell phone is because, you know, the the central government, you know, if they're if what they want is to maintain a unified Spain, they're doing everything possible to break it up. You know, like they created more separatists in 24 hours than, than were created in the previous, you know, 15 or 20 years. Um, you know, I've talked to many people who, you know, were against, I mean, because Catalonia itself is, is very divided on this question. I mean, that's another thing that kind of gets kind of lost in the international press. I mean, it's not like, it's not like this is a, you know, 100% of Catalans are supporting, uh, you know, uh, the independence movement. I mean, this is a bitter and divisive question within Catalonia. So, but many people who were, you know, who were longtime, uh, anti-independence people, um, you know, were, 
pushed toward the independent side by just saying, like, man, how am I going to stay in a state that treats us like this? You know, um, you know, it, it was really sad for me to see uh, because I'm, I'm just like watching as 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I'm watching this, this whole thing go down. It seems completely unnecessary. You know, uh, even if you're against, uh, the independence movement as, as I have always been, you know, you, it's undeniable if you've been to Catalonia in the last three or four years, that there is a genuine kind of, um, you know, popular energy around it. So, you know, you can either ignore it or repress it or figure out some way to deal with it. Right. Um, and, um, it strikes me as the most, the, the, the only logical and, you know, sane position to do is like, okay, engage with the independence movement, um, tr- uh, schedule some sort of agreed upon vote, you know, some mechanism to, to find some sort of way to express democratic, uh, authority and, and then campaign, make a positive campaign to appeal, you know, to a unified Spain, um, you know, mm-hmm try to extol the virtues of a unified Spain, you know, talk about like how, you know, how Catalan culture has enriched, you know, the rest of Spain, which is undeniably true, you know, um, this kind of, uh, you know, a a campaign around, uh, positivity, but that's not, that's not what has happened at all. I mean, it's been the, the, the right wing government Madrid has uh, been done a combination of burying its head in the sand and then just, you know, sicking the dogs on, on, on this movement. And it's like just the most counterproductive thing in the world. Right. So you see the inflexibility of what I'm calling neoliberal authoritarianism yeah. sort of yielding a crisis and, and, and extending that crisis. Now, the question, this is a good segue, because the question here is like, what are the forces that are going to uh, prevail here? And it's probably going to be folks forces they're not currently necessarily on the field of struggle today. <laughs> now, I just want to say one little caveat, right? Like we saw terrible pictures, horrible, awful pictures of state repression and violence on October 1st. Um, but that doesn't mean necessarily that this is going to, that the sympathy, the public sympathy has to necessarily continue with the independence movement forever. We might remember that, remember that cop that was pepper spraying, uh, the, yeah, the, the students Berkeley. in California, Cal, yeah. University of California, Berkeley. And it really just turned public sentiment in favor of the occupiers at that time. Mm-hmm. But then we saw just a, a month or two later, right? Like the public turned on, on the occupiers once more. Right. And so point being is that just because this, the, the global Global sympathy is with the independence movement today. Uh, it doesn't yeah. mean it necessarily will be a month or two down the road. And so the question is, what are the political forces that are really going to um, create that alternative vision that you just pointed to, that positive picture? And Podemos seems to be uniquely situated to do that, but they're playing their cards to get, to extend the poker metaphor. They're yeah. playing their cards very cautiously. Pablo Iglesias, Podemos leader has recently said that the government should see the they should see the independence vote as legitimate. Mm-hmm. However, with the proviso that the poll uh, should not be binding. Mm-hmm. So he's saying that we should see this that we should see that the vote should be allowed to happen. This repression mm-hmm. is is deplorable. We should end it immediately. The vote should go on and we should respect it as a legitimate expression of Catalonian intentions. However, mm-hmm. uh, we should respect the Spanish constitution as the implication, and we, which means we cannot allow that 
that vote to be binding in any sense. It kind mm-hmm. of it kind of brings to mind the question around the Brexit vote, right? Now yeah. that, now that Brexit is actually something that we're that's going to have to be implemented. Is that vote necessarily binding or should we just see that as an expression of, you know, the will of the people at that time uh, which in a sense could be mediated through an alternative synthesis or a compromise. Uh, so what do you, what do you make of Podemos's role here? So, I mean, the Podemos position to me strikes me as the, the most coherent and sane position that reflects the sort of political realities on the ground in Catalonia, right? Which is that, you know, uh, it's clear that there is a strong desire to express, uh, uh, you know, some sort of democratic uh, voice on the independence question. I mean, support for the referendum was, you know, probably 80, 90 percent, according to some polls. You know, like people wanted th- the right to vote, but that doesn't mean that they were going to vote yes. They could vote no or they can, you know, or they could vote to abstain, right? right. Um, it, it, it was very unclear. It was not a sure thing that the independence vote was going to be a yes. And it still wouldn't be a sure thing, Um you know, especially after a, you know, if there were some form of campaign, what, what I, what I worry is that, is that maybe things have gotten too, have gone too far. I mean, Puigdemont, who is the, who is the president of the Catalan government, um, has announced that he, that he, that they will announce secession within a matter of days. Um, it's unclear when there looks like they're buying some time. You know, they originally said they were going to do it within 48 hours, but they said they need to recount the votes and all that stuff. And so they're, they're buying themselves a few days, but I mean, I, we could wake up on Monday and, you know, see that Catalonia has announced unilateral secession, right? In which case, like, what the, what happens then, right? I mean, you know, like, does does Madrid send in tanks, you know? Does, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like, what? Uh, because if you think about it, like, the, like, the institutions that govern Catalonia are in open defiance of the central government in Madrid. The only presence that the state has right now are those 10,000 cops that they sent, you know, but Catalonia has its own uh, police force that outnumbers them. Um, All the, you know, the government, the, the, you know, sort of all the government, all the governing institutions are, you know, they're just not respecting the authority of Madrid. So, you know, even if, even if like the Madrid government sort of were, were to suspend Catalan autonomy, it's hard to see how they could exercise that power without sending in, I guess, the military. I mean, that's like, why, like it, this, this whole thing has gotten so out of hand that it's 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 really hard to to even talk about like you know what what you know sort of long term solutions could be. Should this crisis kind of stabilize in some way? I mean, I, I don't see any other option. I don't see any, a, a way that it would that doesn't involve uh, Rajoy, uh, the the conservative uh, prime minister of Spain, uh, resigning immediately. I mean, and that's kind of, that's what Podemos is calling for. Uh, right now, they're called, they they realize that they're, that you know Rajoy himself has become a non-starter in Catalonia. That there, there will be no resolution to the crisis with Rajoy in power. So Podemos is immediately calling for the uh, resignation of Rajoy, and then they're calling for a dialogue and a negotiated settlement that would allow for a vote, um, and um, and then you know hope for the best. You know, try to try to make an appeal. Um, to you know, uh, the Cat- directly to the Catalan people, um, to vote to stay in Spain. How if that's ever going to play out? Who the hell knows? I mean, you know, we could be in a situation where 
I don't even want to think about it. I mean, I, I, I don't even, you know, I don't, it's, it, it is, it's just, it's quite crazy. Like the situation, right? Now secession, I just want to be clear. I want to backtrack really quickly. Um, secession <laughs> triggers an automatic legally grounded institutionally, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it triggers an institutional imperative to maintain the the union the nation at any cost mm-hmm. i mean yeah. it, it's a it's a constitutional imperative yep. to maintain the unity of the territory and so now yeah. i want to be clear about this uh just as i laid out on a, a couple episodes ago with Rania Kalik about the syrian case i want to be clear i am not on the side of rahoy i am not on the certainly not on the right. side of assad in syria However, we do need to understand the role that states and institutions and laws, by the way, right, which we're supposed to at least have some abidance for like popular sovereignty and the rule of law, even in its limited form that it exists in, right? Mm -hmm. But without it, like what do you have? Just, you know, fucking uh, authoritarianism, right? So these laws in, in the Constitution will trigger an automatic response, which would be military rolling tanks planes who knows yeah who knows and and the the catalan government's calculation is that after the sort of images that we saw on october 1st and the sort of international reaction to them the sort of universal condemnation i mean not from not from any state uh actors but certainly from you know sort of the popular you know public the court of public opinion um their calculation is that if they the, the quicker that they can capitalize on that international sympathy and trigger, uh, you know, and 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 do a, a unilateral secession, should the Spanish state respond militarily, there would be such a public outcry around the world um, that they they would hope uh, their their hope is that it would um, you know trigger some sort of international crisis. Um, and get you know sort of international institutions in Spain to sort of rule, uh, uh, sort of international institutions to rule against the Spanish state. I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty risky bet. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the st- and, you know the stakes are incredibly high. I mean, it's just uh, again, I, I I don't know what the hell's going to happen. Uh, Sounds but, like uh, a game of Russian roulette, really, because it, you know if you know, or more like a game of chicken. Chicken, yeah, yeah. game of chicken yeah. with a very high stakes. Yeah, you know, I mean, like I say, once again, um, I don't want to. I don't want to sound like I am on the side of Rajoy, or certainly not on the side of uh, Bashar al-Assad in Syria. Mm-hmm. However, you see how when this opposition that springs up, that's a mind, that's they're in a minority, and they mm-hmm. rely on the international, the sympathy of the international community. You see that that really leaves them in a powerless position. If that sympathy never comes. Right. Or if other forces step in uh, to defend the Spanish state, which we might very well see coming, you know, I mean, in the European yeah. Union. Oh, uh, yeah. There will be a lot of support uh, that we can talk about here soon uh, from uh, member states to support the Spanish government. Oh, yeah. Because they're all dealing with their own. A lot of them are dealing with their own uh, separatist movements and they don't want to set the precedent. Right? Certainly. Certainly. Uh, I mean, you'll see Theresa May sweep in because she just mm-hmm. saw this uh, recently in the, the the Scottish National Party in the SNP trying to push for yeah. uh, a referendum for, uh, you know, secession of, of a different sort, but but similar. 
Um, and so this is a good, you know, uh, it's a good comparison with Podemos because what you see now with Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party and they, particularly their new party manifesto that's enlivened the socialist aspects of that of that party. You see that the SNP in Scotland is really waning in power, uh, yeah. whereas the sort of nationalist separatist uh, spirit has dissolved and given way to a more universal kind of like left social democratic impulse that Corbyn yeah. represents. And so do you think that Podemos can do a, pull a similar transformation off in, in Spain? Uh, well, okay, so my uh, highly sophisticated analysis of the problems that Podemos has is that while labor in the UK has Corbyn and he's the absolute boy and, you know, we in the United States have Bernie and he's kind of the man, you know, he's just kind of a cool dude, cool grandpa, um, cool grandpa dude, uh, you know, the leader of Podemos, Pablo Iglesias, is not just not the absolute boy. He's just, <laughs> he's just kind of creepy. He's got a ponytail, uh, you know. <laughs> It's just, uh, you know, it's hard. It really makes it a little bit hard to, uh, you know, really get excited and rally behind uh, but the movement. But I mean, really, I, I, I mean, I hope so. I hope they I hope that if this if this crisis kind of settles down a little bit, um, you know, Podemos can recapture its footing. Maybe like if, if this crisis triggers a, 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 a broader crisis within Spain and, and there's, there are new national elections, which could very well happen, you know, Rajoy could fall. Um, you know, there is pressure coming to him from all sides, including from some people on the right. You know, some people on the right are disgusted with the repression in Barcelona and like, you know, like how could you treat, you know, like I've seen, that sentiment and like calling for Rajoy to to resign immediately, that would trigger national elections, which you know would be a, a, an opportunity for Podemos to sort of reassert itself um, and and possibly regain some of its mojo that it had you know uh, a couple years ago when it you know sort of took the Spanish political landscape by storm. Um, you know it captured the mayorship of Barcelona and Madrid, um, you know which was a remarkable achievement. Um, and, uh, and, and possibly re reassert itself and, and establish a sort of, you know, broader Spanish left. Um, you know, that's the, that's the hopeful, uh, you know, scenario and how, and how it would play out. But, you know, who knows? <laughs> so Pablo, my man, Pablo, yeah. lose the ponytail, cut lose your the hair. Ponytail, bro. I mean, it goes Show back to what emotion. I was talking about. It was, yeah. it was, it was going back to what I was talking about, you know, like you don't want to. You don't want to turn people off before you even get in the door, you know. And <laughs> he's I'm, a dusty sorry. academic, right? He's like he's an academic. Yeah, he's an academic with a long pony with a creepy ponytail. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> not very you know. not very charismatic. I mean, he speaks with a lot of conviction. Uh, yeah. and I think people trust him. You know, uh, particularly in the corrupt sort of atmosphere of Spanish politics, he he sort of seems like an anti-corruption figure as well, a genuine just dude, right? But yeah, dude, you gotta you gotta be a little bit more charismatic if you want to carry the Spanish people, well, man. The thing is also like the way the, I mean, a slightly more serious analysis. Like Corbin and Bernie are sort of veterans, uh, you know, political veterans, uh, you know, that are used to dealing with you know horrible, uh, un, uh, dishonest right wing attacks, you know. For, 40, 50 years, right? Um, uh, Pablo Iglesias was a academic and an activist, not really kind of uh, in the political arena, not sort of, so he leaves himself, He off, I often see himself leave himself so open to, you know, the, uh, the superficial kind of 
um, right wing attacks, whether it's, you know, uh, he gets, he gets, he gets hit a lot for like his comments on Venezuela and whatever. And like, you know, it's, it's just, it'd be wiser for him to just like avoid kind of like the Venezuelan question altogether, you know, like it's just, there's no point in him, you know, wading into that debate at all. He needs to play politics. He needs to play ball, right? I mean, it's okay exactly. for him to, you know, so yeah, support Venezuela if that's what you see fit, but you're not going to help Venezuela if you don't ever get into government. Right. I mean, that would be the, the parallel, it seems. The week Bernie just kind of like always brings a discussion back to like the billionaires, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like the no matter what question. billionaires. Yeah. Keep it. Keep, stay on message. Right. Stay on message, bro. You know, like, you know, uh, so, uh, yeah. So I, that's kind of the <laughs> what I see as one of the one of the bigger problems. I mean, Podemos has other issues as well, like that are more, uh, you know, sophisticated uh, and serious. But but I do think that, I mean, there is. There is a chance that if this, if 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 the right in Spain falls, that Podemos could capture some of that energy because the the party of the center left, uh, the Socialist Party, is completely in shambles right now. I mean, they're like most parties, like most center left parties in Europe, like the whatever the parties of the Second International. Um, uh, you know, they've they all turned kind of neoliberal, and they all as as a result lost all their credibility. Um, so you know if if Spain if Spaniards aren't going to elect another right wing government and Rajoy falls then you know it's on I find it hard to believe that they would elect uh, the socialists again so you know there is a chance that that Podemos could could capitalize on that but there's a similar we'll parallel see. between um, Pasok in in uh, Greece the sort of traditional yeah. second internationalist socialist party with uh, Syriza which of course we know how Syriza ended but this is a good segue. Uh, to mm-hmm. to the way we're going to wrap up the show, I think. Sure. All right. So to wrap up with that comparison, would you say that Catalonia and the the path that they're forging should look more towards, like, say, what has happened to Greece and the way that you know, uh, sweeping a a, a pro independence party into power doesn't necessarily free you up from right. the just crippling forces of global capitalism and the Eurozone um, and the IMF and the European Central Bank. Yeah. And, you know, forget it, you know, not, not to mention the U S you know, imperialist uh, state. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the, the title of this episode is no shortcuts Catalonia and the left, because I think mm-hmm. although we should sympathize and empathize with the Catalonian people right now, uh, being facing, you know, really vicious state repression from a yeah. conservative government. We need to be very careful about secessionary movements and we need to rethink the nation state as a political entity and the way that we act uh, politically within that realm. Uh, what, what do you make of all this? So when you talk to sort of protesters, lefties, they'll tell you, you know, um, We'll we'll do independence. It'll give us a better chance of you know taking power within Catalonia, um, and then uh, we'll turn around and uh, you know uh, you know you know help out the 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 rest of the Spanish left. Like once we've kind of built you know socialism in Catalonia, we'll then you know sort of work with you guys to uh, you know build socialism in, in Madrid. I mean, I find that argument to be just kind of insane i mean uh you know i it, it, should catalonia secede it would be such a traumatic um it would be such a traumatic act um 
not just for global capital, as you say. I mean, there are plenty of multinational uh, corporations based out of Catalonia that would, you know, uh, do everything in their power to, you know, reassert, reassert their power within Catalonia. But but that you know that it, that it would ever that you could ever hope to sort of a reconciliation with the rest of with the rest of the Spanish left, right? I mean, you know, you could just see that unleashing you know forces of horrible reaction instead, um, you know, like basically like F you rather than like, you know, uh, because it is a fundamentally anti-solidaristic move, right? You know, like I, I think that on the left, like we should be rejecting nationalisms and, and trying to establish like a more international solidarity. I mean, we've seen like what happens when Greece is, goes, tries to go, to go at it alone, right? They just get crushed. Um, you know, like we should be, we should be sort of extending, uh, you know, our arms rather than kind of taking the ball and, and you know, and, and ending the game, Right there. I mean, like I said, you know, Podemos, when it sort of first burst onto the scene, took the mayorships of both Madrid and Barcelona. I think that that fact can't be understated. You know, there was a moment where, you know, you could you, you, it looked like they could take state power. Right. Um, in Spain, a, a sort of way bigger economy than Greece, uh, sure. you know, uh, you know, like right at the heart of the sort of capitalist system. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I fear that the separatist movement just kind of kills that hope. Uh completely um and then you know that they'll that it'll just leave catalonia alone and isolated um you know as much as many problems as i have with the european union i still believe that um you know that uh, a sort of a, a, a european solution is 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 more preferable than just like you know uh, a series of exits right which which are usually driven by um the xenophobic right you know so uh, I don't know. I just, I, I really, I really find the whole thing incredibly disheartening because I just think like, I just see it all going down. And I think no good can come of this. <laughs> yeah. 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 It seems like, you know, Podemos really needs to position itself to play both sides in a, in a way similar uh, that to, to Jeremy Corbyn during Brexit, because we saw yes. how he was really recognized, I think by the British people for playing that nuanced position. Of course he was attacked uh, mm-hmm. by by the liberals for, you know, teasing folks with Brexit and my God, that's irresponsible. Have you no honor or whatever? And of course he was then attacked by the Brexiteers for not, you know, officially going Brexit. But and so he he sort of struggled in that moment, right? And his popularity yeah. was really was really waning. But of course, once the dust settles and, and the facts become more evident, people really respected him for that nuanced approach to Brexit. So it seems like Podemos could really uh, put itself in a, in a similar type of, of position. I think that's exactly right. Um, you know, I, I think you're, you're, you're right that Corbyn, um, you know, really kind of maintained his integrity in a way, right? Um, in that question. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, I hope that, you know, a similar thing can happen in Spain. Uh, but, uh, you know, you got to get the ponytail. Is the, is, the, is, the, is the bottom line. Cut that ponytail. Talk to Nando about uh, upping your sartorial game. Uh, put the man in a suit and tie, for God's sakes. He's always rocking like the academic, like, uh, you know, academic casual, you might call it. Like yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the, you know, the, the plaid shirt, the plaid dress shirt with yeah. like a frumpy tie yeah. in some poorly fitting pants. 
<laughs> yeah, we we got to up that game. But anyway, there are no shortcuts. Um, I think that we've really staked out a nuanced position. I know this episode is going to piss a lot of people off who sort of see uh-huh. Catalonia as kind of like the new anarchist, anti-statist paradise. Well, Ooh. I'm sorry, folks. That's just not really uh, the actually existing political stakes uh, mm-hmm. right now. Uh, any parting shots for those folks who romanticize this kind of like uh, <sighs> sort of proto-anarchist <laughs> paradise that is Catalonia? I'll just remind them that, I mean, the, the party in power, the pro-separatist party in power in Catalonia right now is the traditional party of the Catalan right. I mean, it's 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 under a new name because the old the old party kind of was, uh, you know, went down in a, in a series of corruption scandals. But the party in power right now is the conservative party. They are a right wing neoliberal austerity party. Um, should independence win, it is very likely that they would be the ruling that they would be the ruling party in Catalonia, not, you know, uh, a radical left anti-capitalist party. Um, so. I fear that independence will only bring more austerity, will only bring, you know, uh, you know, the forces of reaction rather than, you know, the forces of liberation. Well, you heard it there. The man's authentic. He's half Castilian, half Catalan. He's well-dressed. He's also Emmy-nominated. Nando, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a lot, Adam. Yeah, man. Everybody stay tuned. I'm going to talk to Nando for 10 or 15 minutes about the implications of all of this on the La Liga with what really Barcelona. matters, Adam. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that really matters. Let's we should have led with soccer. How dare yeah. us? Uh, oh, shit. We'll tease them out for the get them to pay some money. Yeah, throw down those bones, baby. Go on over to patreoncom slash pundits. Throw down five bucks and get the full uh, field note and hot take from Nando Villa. Thanks again for joining us, Nando. Thank you. And that's our show. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks again to Nando Vila for gracing us with his time. The man is a real pro. I've got two professionals and you know, back-to-back weeks here. Last week, I had Michael Brooks, who's just a pro at the podcasting world. This week, I had Nando Vila, who's a pro in the world of television and documentary journalism. Uh, I got to up my game to keep up with these guests I'm having on lately. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm going to have to go back to school and learn how to talk on a freaking microphone. And anyway, I enjoyed it. I hope you did too. As we mentioned, going over to patreon.com slash dead pundits. And if you subscribe at the $5 and up level, you will get access to our post game. It's called hot takes and field notes. We're going to be talking about La Liga soccer and all of the implications that Catalonian, uh, the Catalonian crisis, the Spanish crisis really has on the world of sports. Uh, sports really truly is at the intersection of politics and economics, as we have seen with Colin Kaepernick here in the United States. And we talk about those parallels there too. So if you're interested in the NFL controversies right now and all of the players taking a knee for racial justice, you're going to want to head on over to patreon.com slash dead pundits folks and smash that $5 or $8 subscribe button and you'll get access to that hot takes and field notes episode. All right, next week, get excited people. I've got the Leo Panich coming on the program. Leo is a socialist and academic luminary. Uh, He's been the the editor of the socialist register for over 30 years. Uh, He took over the reins from the great late 
late great Ralph Miliband. Uh, you know, Leo himself is a, is a, is a really important scholar of, of, of globalization in, in, in U.S. imperialism and the American state um, and state theory in general. Uh, his latest book is really kind of a masterpiece. He wrote that uh, along with Sam Gendon. It's called The Making of Global Capitalism. And it's a really amazing book. I can't speak highly enough of that. It really transformed the way that I think about capitalism and the state. And it will for you too as well if you should read it. And we'll talk way more about that next week. So grab your pens, your pencils, your notebooks, your trapper keepers. Uh, get out that book back, uh, book bag. And uh, yeah, we're about to go back to school, people in the Dead Punnett Society. Labor in the capitalist state. Fall 2017 is well underway. Until next week, the pundit. Can you hear the drums, Fernando? I remember long ago another starry night like this.